thanks very much everybody for coming along. It's a real pleasure to be here this morning. Um, as you know, the theme is poetry of place. Uh, so I had a look through my book yesterday and it wasn't hard at all to find poems of place because that really is uh, where a lot of my poetry comes out of. Not by intention, it, that's what happened when I started to write about 12 or 13 years ago. Uh, that place gave me the metaphors and the images and the language to explore the things I wanted to explore. Um, so I'm going to start with, a po with the, 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 the collection is called The River. And the river that runs right through this collection in various ways is the River Suck, which is in the, the west of Ireland. It borders uh, the farm that Andrew and I grew up on in County Roscommon. And just to say, there's a word here called the bottoms. I always forget to explain what that means. That's the low-lying fields beside a river which are often flooded. The suck. Sometimes together, most often alone, we'd slip the catch on the rusted chain, follow the car track through the bottoms. The river held our stories. It was where we'd go to talk or cry or be quiet in the company of the current. Whether it flowed fast after a flood, rolled in circling eddies, or drifted smooth and slow past stands of alder and silver green willow. We could look as far as the next bend or out to the island, speckled with yellow iris, bordered with sedge. We could dream of leaving, making lives of our own. Ask the river to bless us. Let us go. Um, the amazing thing about poetry is one line in another poem can set off something for you. And I was reading Ted Hughes, The Moon and Little Frida, a beautiful poem, and there was just, he has buckets clanking in the yard, and that set off this poem for me. Dusk. Do you remember the bell across the river telling us it's time to walk with sacks of oats to wooden troughs in the hill field? Heave forkfuls over the dung heap wall, scatter straw for bedding, feed weanlings from buckets, stand guard over sucklers to stop them pucking fostered calves. Do you remember the voice calling, hop, 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 to the slow chain of black and white cows, spurts of milk strained warm into wide blue-rimmed basins? Do you remember the scent of wood smoke, lights coming on in the house, how we longed for the morning, we'd shut the gate and walk away? So as that poem indicates, uh, love of place can also be required to leave that place. And it was only you know, years after I had left that I, in a way, returned through poetry to that place. Um, and one of, the, one of the things I was thinking about in giving um, this reading 
was about how important religion was in the development of my poetic voice. We grew up in an Anglican family in the west of Ireland, which was quite unusual because Ireland is predominantly Catholic. Um, and be, but because of that, it was, I think religion maybe was all the more important in our household because of being a minority religion. And um, I think that the, the, you know, the rhythm and the music of the Psalms and of the hymns and of the wonderful King James version of the Bible, all of that was in, in me and influenced my writing uh, much later. Um, so, uh, but also, I suppose, the metaphors of the Bible were metaphors we understood that were familiar to us, and that's what this poem explores. The Blue Bible. Before breakfast, we'd kneel on the kitchen tiles for prayers, then listen to our father read a lesson from the Blue Bible with sticking plaster along its spine, a picture beside each story. We took turns to choose the Good Samaritan, Zacchaeus in the sycamore tree, the loaves and fishes that grew and grew to feed the multitudes, stories for people who worked the soil, who watched over flocks of sheep. We knew those people. We knew the rain that ruined crops, the seed that fell on stony ground, the days when hope, like a restless heifer, goes astray. Um, this, this poem is, has the title, uh, which is a big question in Ireland, but also all over the world, the, the title is Who Owns the Field? Um, and somebody, when they were reviewing the book, uh, said this, po this poet is a Marxist. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then I was thinking, well, when I was a teenager, Jesus was a Marxist to me. So, uh, because it is, uh, this poem has also been included in a green Christian magazine. So I think it's interesting, you know, where poems go. Who owns the field? Is it the one who is named in the deeds? whose hands never touched the clay? Or is it the one who gathers the sheaves, takes a side to the thistles, plants the beech, digs out the dockweed, lays the live hazel? Is it the one who is named in the deeds, or the one who pulls ragworth on his knees, lifts rocks into a cart, splits larch for stakes, the one who gathers the sheaves, slashooks the briars, scatters the seed, cuts his hand on barbed wire, hangs the gate. Is it the one who is named in the deeds or the one who could surely lead to where children made a hiding place in an old lime tree? He gathers the sheaves. Is it the one who tends cattle and sheep and can tell you how the field got an, its name? Is it the one who is named in the deeds, or the one who gathers the sheaves? So you can, you can hear the Bible in there, I think, <laughs> even though I wasn't consciously doing that when I was writing it. But uh, I think it's got in there all right. Um,
I wanted to, uh, in, in my writing, I've written quite a bit about my parents, both my memories of them when I was young, and then my memory, my experience of them in their older years. And this comes from, these two poems come from them in their older years. Winter. Since the trouble with his heart, she tries to keep him in. But before the breakfast tea is cold, he shrugs on his coat, lifts his cap, blackthorn stick, and heads out across the fields to count cattle and sheep, check how far the flood has risen, break ice for cows on the pond. There's not a pick on him. He feels every breeze like the beach that shelter Rooney's field. But he will not wear the scarf or gloves she offers daily. Back in the kitchen for a fry, he warms his cheek against hers, shows her his hands, thick as fencing stakes, swollen, purple with the cold. Laughing, he asks, did you ever see such shovels? It's funny, that, that poem I wrote years ago, and a friend of, of Andrew's, who's here in the States, who came from a farm in the States, uh, whose father had died recently, said those were her father's hands. And I guess that's the thing about poetry. That's the wonder of it, that it can cross all kinds of miles between people. And so then another poem from that stage in my parents' lives recently. And this one is in my my mother's voice, back of an envelope. I don't know what's come over your father, my mother says on the phone. He left a note on the back of an envelope, gone herding, won't be long. Where did he think I'd think he was gone? <laughs> All those years, if I asked where he was going, where he had been, he'd act like I'd tethered him to a post. And then today, he leaves a note. Um, I suppose one of the things that, that poetry uh, does is it celebrates. And um, this is a poem of celebration. And uh, it was inspired by my nephew, who was working on a farm on the east coast of Ireland, where the land is a good deal better than it is on the west. And he was, he was celebrating the land there. Um, Ploughing in Wexford. You wouldn't believe the land down here. Not a stone to be found and the soil dark as a night without stars. Farmers in the west would kill for an acre of this. I'm learning the ropes. Grease the bearings, set the check chains, tighten nuts and bolts, then mark the headland line, leaving space at the end to turn the plough and realign the tractor. The trick is in keeping the first furrow straight. <coughs> the days are long, but I'm not alone. From high in the cab, I look over my shoulder at black-headed gulls, lapwings, starlings and rooks in their thousands, hurtling from all directions to follow the plough, 
fast and fierce as torpedoes. Um, that, that poem, I read it uh, recently in Ireland, and an older man in the audience came up to me, and he was visibly upset at the end, and he said, it's not like that anymore. There are no birds following the plough. And it was, it was, I mean, I guess it was out of his sadness for what's happened to the environment and what's happened to farming. Um, so... Um, a few more poems. This, this poem is um, about my father uh, when he was in, in hospital a year ago and Andrew actually was at home taking care of him and I was away, I was in Spain and Andrew was ringing me. So this came after a phone call from Andrew. And it, it, it's, it's re- I, I suppose, I think people can, be, can become of their place. You know, I think it's amazing how the, the place we're of becomes part of who we are. We, come, we become, and, and our place uh, uh, influences who we are as we influence our place. Um, that I could. That I could take away from him these long days in the hospital, the digging for a vein in his arm, the drip that stops him sleeping, the pain that makes him whisper, Jesus Christ, oh Jesus Christ, that I could take him back to his cobblestones and barn, his rooks in the birch trees, his nettles and ditches, limestone and bog, that I could find the words to tell him what he will always be, horse chestnut petals falling pink, in the yard, the well that's hidden in a blackthorn thicket, cattle standing orange in the shallows, a summer evening's hush. Um, so this this. The next poem actually is a poem of place, but it comes from France, uh, where I was with a a very good friend of mine doing a poetry course this summer. And uh, this, this poem is for her and for the place. The Arch. Not Tudor or Corbel, Lancet or Gothic. Not burdened by a bridge or chastened by a church but hewn from rough limestone blocks, wedged flank to flank by peasant masons. It stands at the end of the avenue in chestnut tree shade. It has sent off scoundrels, barred bailiffs from entry, welcomed carriages home. It never sleeps on duty, never refuses swallows a nest, never tells stories better unsaid. How it watched the courtyard walls crumble and fall till it was left alone. One day the arch will stop trying to hold what can no longer be held. Okay, so just just two more poems. I mean, um, I, I live on the other side of the country now, in Wicklow, which is south of Dublin, and uh, also a very beautiful place, and it's got mountains. Roscommon has 
the merest little hills, little hillocks, and uh, have to say I love the mountains. And uh, there's a mountain we look at from our uh, kitchen window, and this is this mountain. And I suppose mountains for me are a place to go for succor. And uh, times, again, a bit like going down to the river when I was a child, the times when things are hard, going up to the top of a mountain really helps. Croken Moira. When you've pushed your grief into a pack already heavy with rain gear, compass, flask, you take the narrow road, rising and twisting to the pass, where you cross the stile onto open heath while looking up to the summit. It's hidden in mist. You begin the slow pull uphill, past a forest of pine, walking first in sunshine, sudden rain, then sleet stinging your face as you watch your step on the muddy track, forgetting the weight on your back. Sun breaks through, white and pink felsbar flecks light up the granite grey peak. Okay, I'll, I'll read just two more poems. Um, this one is, um, a, I wrote recently during the summer, and uh, I was thinking about Sundays. And when, at home, when we were young, the most important thing on a Sunday was getting to church on time and clean and tidy, uh, having done all the jobs. And uh, that wasn't always an easy task to get there. Uh, so, worship. Not till one brother had belted another. <laughs> Not till there'd been a, ve a visit from the vet to the cow with red water. Not till the chicken was trussed, the kitchen floor swept, and the jelly beginning to set. Not till the prayer books were gathered and my mother had combed out my tangles after checking for lipstick on her teeth. Not till the eldest was sent back upstairs. You needn't think you're wearing that. <laughs> Not till we were polished and shining as the seven pairs of shoes lined up at the door. Not till my father had said he wouldn't wait another minute. <laughs> Not till he'd given us each a penny for the plate. And so uh, the, last po the last poem um, is a poem of loss, and I suppose it's, it's exploring the nature of loss, uh, how, it, how it goes and comes, grieving, I suppose, how it goes and comes back, and comes back maybe differently uh, the next time. The river. What surprises me now is not that you're gone, but how I go on without you as if I'd lost no more than a finger, my hand still strong, perhaps stronger, can do what it must, like carving your name in a branch from the beach by the suck, letting the river take you so I can call myself free. Only sometimes, like yesterday, or the day before, 
last night or this morning, the river flows backwards, uphill to my door. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you very much. And I think we've time for five minutes of questions and answers. If anybody has any for Jane, please. More? more? more. Even more. Hey. <laughs> so so um, if anybody has any questions, please, please let us know. Can you tell us a little more about yourself? Okay. You left the farm. Yes, I left the farm. And, uh, Okay, uh, somebody's asked, could I say a little bit more about myself? Uh, I left the farm, I went to study actually in Canada for two years, and then came back to Trinity, and studied there for four years, um, and studied English and philosophy, and then I worked in adult education and community development, so there's the Marxist bit coming out. <laughs> I worked in that for many years, then I trained as a psychotherapist, and so that, I, I think I did uh, group analytic psychotherapy, which is, you know, a long training, a seven-year training, and I think that really influenced me becoming a poet. I wasn't writing creatively at all before then, and I think that, that deep work was very influential for me. And uh, so now I work part-time as a poet, and part-time I facilitate groups and organizations you know, team building, conflict resolution, that kind of thing. It's all about communication, really. I think there are lots of links. Some people think, you know, that's a very different life. But it's actually about listening very carefully and uh, finding ways of communicating and trying to understand people. And I guess that's all part of that. Empathy. I, get, I think empathy is the, the link uh, in my work and as a poet and with organizations. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Uh, somebody asked, did something in my life, an occurrence, start me on the path? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think I was um, like probably lots of young people, particularly young people in Ireland, I always wanted to write. I mean, they're really, I don't know if it's particular to Ireland, but there seems to be everybody wants to write. And I dreamt of writing as a child. It was really important to me. And my father used to call me Shevana the Scribe because, <laughs> because I was always writing, but I wasn't writing creatively. It wasn't coming to fruition for me. So I think it was that, you know, I was in my early 40s and I guess I'd, I'd done other things. And, and then I, I let myself do a writing course and I was trying to write short stories, but I was required to write four poems. And that was it. It just, it was, it really was like falling in love. That's all I can say. It was like, you know, that way that you're just taken over. And you just, that's where you put your, your, all my energy went that way, you know, that focus, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Any other questions? Yeah. Yeah. Did you read the first poem in the book? Okay, yes, I will indeed. I will indeed. And I was asked... I... <laughs> So I, for the people at the back, I was asked would I read the first poem in my collection. <laughs> Honey. Away, away, he shouts, sending her up the hill through firs and bracken to gather sheep. She snakes towards them, belly close to the ground, listening for his whistle to bear left or right. 
They raise their heads, sniff, ears pricked, then flock together and run for the gate. She comes back panting to stand at his side, eyes bright, tongue lolling. She had the herding instinct from birth. When she was just a pup, he'd find her in the haggard, rounding up the hens. You'll make a right cod of her, he gives out, when the children dress her up like their teacher, (laughs) in their mother's headscarf and glasses. They sit her on a chair at the kitchen table, offer her a cup of tea and a scone. A Sunday close to lambing, three men in the yard, one with a shotgun under his arm. Your dog and Dunn's wreaked havoc last night. Thirty ewes dead or dying, mangled in barbed wire, lamb beds hanging out. From an upstairs window they watch him walk to the shed. He drags her by the scruff, leaves her at their feet. He says nothing when he comes in, says little for weeks. Yes, yes, and it's fun. it's interesting because I remember sitting at being at that upstairs window, you know, and and my poems come a lot in pictures. They come to me. I see, you, you know what I mean. The picture comes before the words. Yeah, the pictures come before the words. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. 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 So somebody at the front is saying that even though that that's not the, some of the vocabulary isn't her vocabulary, it still is meaningful to her. And I guess that's the thing. I mean, for me, of course, reading Seamus Heaney was was enormously important for me in my development. And that was what he did. He used the words of his place. You know, because I suppose you, growing up, you don't think that you have anything to write about. I don't know if other people can identify with that. I didn't think I had anything to write about. And I thought it would have to be high-flown or more complex or, you know. And, and then, you know, I, I would say Seamus Heaney and Patrick Kavanagh, those wonderful poets, they, they help you see that it is in the ordinary, your ordinary life, that the, that, that the wonder is. And, but it's about stepping back enough. And that's sometimes, you know, the whole thing about exile. I mean, for me, the exile wasn't to go to another country. The exile was to move away from home, you know. And Seamus Heaney, you know, does talk about poetry of exile. It's not necessarily, you know, it's that leaving of the place you've loved, you know, even if you've complicated emotions about it. But that place where you grew up, we were always in exile from it in one way or another. And it's, you know, and it's shaping us and influencing us all the time. Any any other questions? <laughs> Just talking about that yesterday to Andrew. I mean, I I, I hope in you know maybe two years time. It, you, there's a lead in time of about a year with a publisher, so you know I, I mean I have a good bit collected because I've you know those are a lot of those are new poems, so I have a good bit collected. So on the way anyway, yeah, on the way. Is somebody there? Yeah. 
about Andrew well no but just he's he's the youngest in the family and uh, so of course he was the pet <laughs> we we felt he was a pet anyway and one of the time well one of the funny stories I can remember is that you know working making the hay was the big deal and everybody was out making hay Okay, that was, there was no, you know. But Andrew, because he was the pet, our eldest brother would be driving the tractor. Andrew was let go round and sitting in the cab of the tractor with the brother. And you can, and you can imagine that was not popular to the rest of us. <laughs> we wanted everybody. But Andrew was a great musician always and played the piano and played the piano accordion. And that was, you know, and play, playing music was a big part of uh, Andrew's life. And for all of us, you brought the music into our family, which was wonderful for all of us because, you know, we didn't. None of the rest of us played. Yeah. 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 Any other last? Yeah. Okay, so it's a question about how I write and whether I set time aside or it just comes to me. I set time aside. Morning is my best time. It's my, you know, when my mind is clearest. And so the thing I like most of all is early morning, quiet, um, to write. And I, I savor that time. I don't always have it, you know, but whenever I can have it. So, you know, we were down in Maryland, myself and Chip and Andrew, and yesterday morning I got a bit of time to write, and that is just bliss, you know. But you can't write, I don't write if I'm too busy or too stressed or too burdened, you know. You actually need to just rest a bit and get a bit of space, and then, you know, um, but yeah, more... But I guess it's always what I want to be doing, really. You know, it's, it's very important to me, you know. Yeah. And somebody at the back of the room? Yeah. Well, yeah, no, it's a very good question. You know, what helps you get the space? I mean, uh, walking and yoga... I'm, I, you know, my yoga practice, you know, I do yoga every morning and that's really important. And I, you know, there was a time when I started writing when, you know, I'd hear, I'd, you know, loads of writers get up at half four because they just need that space. I know they're just so, you know, and so I thought, look, I'll give up my yoga because that'd give me more time writing. And then I realized that's not going to work. I need the yoga because that's what helps me, you know, but also walking is really important. I think just the rhythm of walking works with the rhythm of poetry. And then the other thing is reading other poems. You know, I, I mean, I have the writer's almanac comes in and email into my every day. Beautiful poems that Garrison Keillor chooses. They're just gorgeous poems. But also other poetry. I'm reading poetry all the time. And it's amazing how you read. I mean, I'd start reading a poem and then I don't even read the, to the end of it because a word or an expression or just takes off for me. So the biggest source would be reading other poets, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Favourite poet? Well, Elizabeth Bishop. Do people know Elizabeth Bishop? Wonderful North American poet. Fabulous. So that poem, The Suck, that I read early on, she has a poem called The Moose. And it's about her journey away from her home place 
It's a really beautiful, wonderful poem. But I was reading that poem and thinking, well, what's my, what was my journey? So her poem is from right from Canada to Boston kind of thing, but mine was from, you know, from the house down to the river. You know, it doesn't matter where your journey is, but, you know, so, so for example, so Elizabeth Bishop, I love lots of North American poets, uh, poets uh, Jane Hirschfield, Mary Oliver, um, but then obviously people like uh, Seamus Heaney, Ivan Boland, uh, Paula Meehan, you know, there are just so many, you know, but they're just some of the ones that I love.